is being transformed once again, uh, and international uh, and governance are being transformed through this move, right? And the, the idea is that uh, rather than aiming at peace, the global project of international that was to regulate violence tends to uh, increasingly uh, aim at, at security rather than peace. I should have tested this. Just, uh, I think it needs to be switched on. <coughs> Sorry. There we are. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Oh, no. This is where I'm going. Yeah. Of course. Uh, so this is uh, the background idea that in the past 30 years, an attraction for security rather than peace has transformed the modality in which we regulate violence at the global level, and that has. <coughs> gone through international legal instrument, the classical legal instruments, and also through a series of other regulatory tools that are being um, promoted on the side of, of classical international legal tools and institutions. So the project that emerged in the 19th century with international law that aimed at promoting peace as a project for civilization, for the European civilization, and framing war as a pathological uh, moment in, in, in international legal affairs um, has metamorphosed the idea that secure, the security issue has, was then placed, sorry, was then placed in, in the domestic realm, in the internal realm, and the peace project was promoted at the international realm. And today what, uh, what I, 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 I see happening is that security is, is being promoted at the global plane as a, a project for everyone, not only for internal states, but for states at the global plane. In a sense, uh, security compared to peace is both a broader and, uh, and also less ambitious project than peace. It's less ambitious because it seems to be more pragmatic, more uh, abandoning the ideal of a world without violence, but it's also very ambitious because it encompasses much more things than just violence, right? Health, finance, security is pervasive in, very, in various uh, areas of global governance and also transforms uh, the, the question of violence, connecting it to all these other issues, right? So there is a, it, something like global security law or global security regulation that is emer emerging from a wider area of different fields and, and legal disciplines such as disaster relief or health management, financial stability management. All these uh, areas see, uh, promote and develop tools in which security becomes the aim of these global regulation and connecting all these various uh, insecurity or risk uh, zones together. Um, and what does it change in, in broadly uh, to move from peace to security, to, to, to move from war to risk, because risk is what we're trying to fight as we used to fight war. Well, it's, we are aiming at something more spectral, more refined, uh, moving away from the binary distinction between war and peace and to a, 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 a reality that tries, or at least claims, that the project claims to encompass a more uh, sophisticated and wide area of, 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 of social phenomena. So I believe that this transformation that we see in various areas of international law, in particular war, uh, has been undermined in international legal scholarship, and that may sound as a paradox because war has really captured a lot of attention in the disciplines in the past 
decades, right? A lot of the discipline has engaged with international criminal law, with what's, what's, what's happening in a reborn uh, Security Council. But uh, what I'm trying to describe is what's happening on the side of this, aside from the, 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 this uh, central institution that's aimed at regulating uh, peace and war, a, an administration of security through other types of, of regulatory tools and maybe other institutions, notably uh, international economic institutions, we're developing more and more tools and more and more um, informal jurisdiction on security, on violence, on conflict, etc. And that's the, the, the move I'm trying to describe. Um, So I will try here to capture the commonality of the different uh, regulatory tools or assemblages I'm trying to uh, uh, put together to, to show this move. <coughs> and they all share what I claim is a managerial mode of governance. Right? What, they, what they have in common is that they tend to manage uh, security in, in a different way that international would frame war and frame peace. But the idea is that these regulatory tools have a managerial project of security, which is to manage it constantly, but right? not necessarily to frame it and regulate it in, a, in exceptional or binary modes, but to have a constant uh, management of these issues. Uh, so what is uh, specific to this managerial governance that has been uh, described or at least pointed out by the several international lawyers, notably Koskenyemi has, uh, back at the end of, of, of the 90s, beginning of 2000, pointed out to move to a managerial mode of international legal making. Um, so what they have in common is that they constitute uh, global problems as not to be decided on politically or not to be discussed, but to be managed uh, through a, a, type of, a specific type of technical expertise. So poverty, environment, security, all these things are dealt with a managerial mode of thinking through uh, these institutional arrangements. What they have in, in common also these different tools is that they move, they, they tend to break away from the binary categories of war and peace or um, civilian combatant, etc., etc., or private public, um, national, international, to a more uh, granular and spectral uh, vision of reality, which has the various levels that are constantly assessed and constantly measured with more specific, more sophistication, at least this, this is the claim that they have. They rely, of course, on, on a mix of informal and formal instruments, not only formal instruments, and they make their object measurable, calcula calculable, uh, embracing a face of in data and hyperfactualism. And all of this leads to uh, uh, promoting two main, I think, main characteristics of this type of governance. One, that it is preventive. It aims at always preventing risk rather than um, Punishing, for instance, or uh, and it also is very worried with efficiency and cost efficiency. Right? It's seeing the world through a cost efficiency calculus in which we are constantly uh, preventing risk while always taking into account the cost benefits uh, of, of, of interventions. So the so this is the the the. the background on which I'm, I'm, I'm proposing this research, there are two underlying and interrelated questions that drive uh, this inquiry. It's first that this is also uh, uh, a, a wider question of what is the transformation, what are the transformations that 
uh, international law is undergoing, um, not specifically related to war, but generally, uh, more broadly, the transformation that all these institutional arrangements are doing with and to international law. And the other interrelated question in, is, what does it change in war? So how does it change the legal institution of war? What is at stake in, in, in how the object is, is transformed? So I'm going to try to address both these, uh, these questions. So uh, in a sense, my, my approach is both, it's, it's essentially descriptive, but with uh, the idea to have uh, a, an analysis on a wider uh, change on, on a background that patterns that international and policy are undergoing, right? So I'm looking pra pragmatically at the, the type of, mores, of norms that I see emer emerging, but I'm also, um, of course, um, trying to think about what international law should do or international lawyers should um, um, think or how should, you should, should they perform their expertise in this um, uh, context. So let's jump right at it. So I can get better at this. So of course, uh, the project of international law has changed multiple times. Uh, the way international um, um, intended to conceive its relation to violence and the regulation of war has evolved uh, throughout its existence, right? So it's a constant renegotiation. Reneg what I'm talking about here is not uh, a revolution from one framework to another. It's it's a, it's the result of 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 several transformations that are here uh, captured in very schematic way in this uh, tab. And it, of course, proposing uh, such a, a visual tends to assume that it's a very structural vision where all these type of mode of, of legal arrangements are, are very different. But what I mean to say is that, of course, they are connected. This emerges, at, at, so the, the, these tools, these rationalities, or these institutions, of course, do not appear at a certain moment of, of, of international legal history out of nowhere. And so they're, of course, embedded and come from uh, a longer history of, of, of international law. So, uh, schematically, uh, the idea is to say that what I'm calling here managerialism emerges or is the result of the successes and failures of various modes of international legal uh, thinking and projects uh, that we know uh, very well, right? We, we, we are aware that the, 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 the project or the formalistic project of the 19th century that really wanted to design uh, instruments that would separate that would increase the separation between war times and, and, and peace time in order to have different time of regulation and to make uh, war a, a problematic, uh, well, it's the beginning of this idea, to make war a problematic moment, right? Has evolved to a, a ver uh, various uh, uh, projects, mainly the idea that we will constitute a collective security mechanism at the global level that will uh, be able to centralize and have a say and manage and propose rules as to how um, uh, war should be organized uh, on the international plane and how violence would be distributed for legitimate or illegitimate reasons, legal and, and illegal reasons. Um, and uh, my point is that the functional term that we have seen in the, uh, maybe after, so we have the big moment of formalism, 
the interwar period that embraced factualism or sociologism, depending uh, how you want to call it. So they are embracing social sciences as a picture, as they would give a better picture of what violence is. Uh, they're criticizing the formal project because it was so uh, out of touch uh, with reality. It had formal categories that had nothing to say about the real situations. So a sociological turn that were more was more concerned with 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 what's on the ground, but that still lacked uh, uh, prag pragmatism, and so a more a concern with pragmatism, the uh, utility of legal categories. Uh, is to be seen um, after the adoption of the Charter and the, the way the Charter has been interpreted, the, the adoption of, of, of the, Geneva, the, the additional protocols to the Geneva Conventions, that are moved to a more a functional approach to international law and a focus on a resolution, on uh, judicialization, so on, on, on court's decision that would be uh, the right tool, the efficient tool to implement international legal uh, rules and a critique of, of this is to say that, well this is still very much embedded in in, in state centric uh, with state centric co constraints and a move away from these constraints um, to grasp something that is wider than the violence that's uh, performed by states and and to try to guess uh, 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 various other phenomena with this mode with this new managerial um, mode of, of thinking right. Um, I'm, ha of course, happy to discuss uh, the, the contentious divisions that I put on the tab in, in, in our Q&A. So I'm going to describe uh, very classically uh, the, the, what I call the managerial mode of, 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 of security governance through both its instruments, <coughs> its tools, and, and the actors that are at the foreground of its uh, development. So in sources, so the, the legal and regulatory tools that I'm talking about have, I'm looking at them not necessarily um, through their pedigree, not necessarily because they, are, they, are, they, they, they come from states or they come from the UN Security Council. I'm looking at them because they have an effect or at least they have the project to have an effect on uh, the organization of violence at the global level. And so I'm taking here more, um, a pragmatic turn in, in, in seeing what the effect that regulators have rather than uh, where they come from or what's their authority or what's their formal authority, right? So it's a, of course, might uh, uh, come inside and outside the formal international law box, right? So corporate social responsibility mechanism are, for instance, an, an, an instance of that, right? The, uh, the idea that with contracts, with code of conduct, with technical standards, uh, monitoring and reporting bodies, private or alternative complaint mechanism, one can uh, regulate a global problem, right? So uh, a good uh, example is of how this has uh, played in the regulation of violence is the way in which uh, private security companies have been uh, regulated, right? The, uh, the initial tentative to have a code of conduct that has been formalized into the unification of one code of conduct in which both states, NGOs, uh, incorporation participated, the construction of one body that would monitor uh, the activities of the, the, um, the companies that would subscribe to this code of conduct, uh, the, the creation of, of a certification mechanism, of a private complaint mechanism, 
all of this created a sort of uh, a form of international organization regulating this um, this sector, these, the, this part the particular activity of these private military companies that are prevailing in, in, in many areas of, of, of both war and peacekeeping. Um, but there, this is one very uh, big example in which a major field has been regulated to these uh, regulatory tools. But there are other uh, OECD and uh, OECD guidelines uh, on the on, on activities in risk zones or on the blood diamonds and various corporate social responsibility mechanisms that had the specific intent to 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 grasp violence or a conflict zone, right? So in a way, they were regulating more from these private stance, right? From 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 to, from this business angle, regulating uh, violent activities disregarding the qualification of whether it was an armed conflict or not, whether it was a use of force or not, like really sidetracking these qualifications to just try to grasp violence or risk. And so using, of course, a different type of terminology, such as high-risk zones or conflict situation, uh, without any reference to the Geneva Convention, etc., etc. So really trying to go uh, aside from the formal uh, limitations that the, the existing tools were uh, imposing, but yet referencing to things, right? So these um, uh, code of conduct, for instance, always say, well, uh, the, the, the companies that obey to this code of conduct need to respect uh, human rights and humanitarian law. Uh, so uh, it's still a reference to these instruments, but without any uh, constraint as to the, their applicability, uh, the actors that uh, are, would be bound, et cetera, et cetera. Another uh, very uh, emblematic tool of this uh, mode of, of regulating violence are indicators. So there is a, a, a multiplication of indexes or indicators produced by the World Bank, by private actors, by uh, private security companies, by uh, all sorts of, of actors on the field that try to uh, score security uh, on, on a spectrum, right? And or security in itself, or security as a part of a wider governance assessment. Right? So the World Bank includes security in a wider uh, measurement of how governance is, 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 is done, how rule of law is uh, to be assessed. Um, the OECD has also engaged in, a, in, a, in, in the assessment of, uh, they, they chose the word fragility, right? Where uh, violence and risk is also at, this, at, the, at, the, at the core of what they're trying to get, grasp with this tool. So, indicators that instead of giving a divided or binary picture of the world, where, or as, as our legal categories would do, saying, well, this is an armed conflict, this is not, or this is war and this is peace, a, 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 a picture of the world that, was, that is much more spectral, that is, a, that is scored, a scoring level of security, scoring level of fragility. Um, disregarding the categories uh, that were set by uh, more classical uh, international legal instruments. Um, another uh, tool that is being extremely uh, powerful in putting all these instruments, both I think CSR mechanism and indicators, in motion in a very uh, powerful way are algorithmic devices, right? a series of algorithmic devices that put all these uh, constraints 
whether technical standards, expectation, um, uh, auditing requirements, etc., in uh, automatized uh, application system, right? So there is, of course, a lot of attention to the international scholarship about how this is implemented in, in autonomous weapon, right? And the, the algorithmization of requirements such as the principle of distinction or the principle of proportionality, that robots would be able to distinguish a civilian from a combatant, um, or they would be uh, better, uh, or that soldiers or robots would have uh, would rely exclusively on algorithmic devices, on machine learning, basically to assess proportionality properly. Um, uh, all this development, I think, are basically embedding all this uh, uh, managerial model, something that we should probably call techno-managerialism, which makes it abs absolutely uh, powerful because it is embedded in a series of tools that are uh, there. So there is, of course, the, the very... Uh, spectacular killer robot, but aside from this, there is a series of automatized security systems at the global plane that are very efficient, essentially in banking, so the tracking of terrorist flows uh, is, 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 is constantly monitoring um, activities and flagging activities that are considered uh, terrorist or suspicious, um, and trying there also, uh, building on a, on, on a type of IHL redux of what constitutes uh, violence, what constitutes risk, what constitutes terror, it's very uh, uh, blurry, the, the, the type of, of notion that is being uh, embedded in these instruments, but yet they're probably one of the most uh, pervasive tools in, in how violence or uh, is distributed, right? how violence is governed at the global plane. Right? So uh, there is banking, there is of course border control, uh, the the real-time assessments of, of stability in state, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So this real-time governance of security that is is embedding in uh, all sorts of technological assessment tools. This managerial uh, rationality. So who who are the people who are doing this? This were the instruments. What are the actors that are uh, prevalent in in this uh, turn to a managerial governance? I would say that. Uh, there is a, a, a fundamental turn that has been taken by both the OECD at, and the World Bank around 2010, uh, when both at the same time started to produce, so there is the emblematic report of the World Bank in 2011 that is about conflict and violence, and that I think marks a big shift in how they decide, the World Bank decide that this is a topic of relevance for development, so for economic institutions, and really captures the field of war that was still, at, uh, until then, I think, very much uh, uh, a competent or at least a domain of the UN Security Council, of traditional UN institution, and suddenly uh, the World Bank says, well, this, this is also relevant for me. At the same time, the OECD also issues a series of, 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 of documents and indicators on fragility, on stability, etc., and, and focuses a lot on, um, on, on violence and risk uh, uh, conflict zone. Right. So th at the same time, at this turn, at this moment, so right after the 2008 crisis, uh, uh, interestingly, both uh, these institutions uh, invest in this, and 
also it's maybe more anecdotal, but in the EU also a lot of things happen at that time uh, in the in the international standardization organization. Also, new standards on risk management, on the management of private security companies are issued on cybersecurity. There is a, a, a decision, or at least a decision, a, co a common sense at this at this time that. There is, there ought to be something about security. There ought to be done something about security that is going through all these type of of, of different tools. And of course, these, beside these very um, central institutional actors, there is a, a lot of private actors, think tank, corporation, tech companies that also develop uh, tools uh, that are on the market to 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 to. Um, in a sense, regulate global security from a private stand. It's ex extremely true for cybersecurity. Where the the realm is is, own, is is very much uh, the ones of, of of tech companies that produce constant cyber risk assessment, etc. So uh, the commonality, the common rationalities of these tools that we see is that they are actuarial. Uh, they are based on a behavioral rationality. They're they're uh, tend to promote a scientific, mathematic, and risk-based technological expertise. Uh, their aim is to measure, uh, to forecast, to constantly forecast uh, risk. And what does it do? It, it individualizes risk. It makes uh, the problem very granular and very specific, while giving the impression that it connects all the dots together and hyper-contextualizes uh, violence. So, um, Well, it's interesting to see how this managerialism emerges at the same time, I mean, in, 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 the, in the 1960s, at the same time that nuclear weapons are, are being developed. So there is a link there about how uh, management and um, technical risk are uh, to, uh, bound together. That might be uh, one of the... Of the of the phenomenon that lead to, to, to the inscription of this at the, at the time where f finally there is a lot of data about how the world is going and there is a lot of data about stability and this uh, allows the, the success of these types of instruments. Um, so what does it do to, um, to security? What does it do to war and security? How does it change the way that the legal institution of war is constituted? <coughs> So I think that what it does is that it, it embeds war and security in the calculation of future risk. It's, it's not about um, deciding what the specific rules in specific time, ex extraordinary times or spaces, such as the idea of an exceptional regime that would be applicable in, in armed conflict conceived as a, as, a, as a contained time and space. Um, but it's constantly, it's, it's a constant calculation of future risk that do not have to be embedded in specific temporalities or specific spaces, right? It can be uh, a very localized uh, item of violence that would be grasped by this instrument. And this is what they promote as being more efficient, right? Than having a whole body of rules applicable to a whole space, a whole country, because uh, there is a threshold that's sufficient. It, be, it seems a bit... Uh, clunky compared to the idea that you could apply a specific targeted measure to that person uh, because they they constitute a risk in that specific country in that specific moment. Uh, 
So violence is constituted as, as actuarial data, their actuarial data entrance within this entrance mindset. And it's all about preventing rather than uh, punishing. It's, it's, about, it's not about setting different rules, it's about preventing um, uh, risks. So at the material level, What, ha what, was, what has happened is that we moved from uh, the idea in the laws of war or in, in, in the beginning of collective security that we needed a very high threshold to implement international legal laws. Um, and what I'm trying to show is that there is uh, the lowering of this threshold because it was very, uh, uh, or there are many reasons, but either because it had nothing to do with reality or because it was not efficient, because it wouldn't grasp specific situation. Anyway, the, the threshold of violence has constantly lowered um, over the course of the, of the tw 20th century, not without debate, but of course, but essentially uh, the, 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 the granularization of violence and the different mode in which violence have been performed in the end of the 20th century has led to the idea that the threshold should, should lower to, to implement special rules in case of conflict. Uh, we have moved from a, a proportionality that, is, that was about restraint uh, in the initial, um, so the, the, sorry, the intent, an, an intensity that was about restraining uh, the forces. Um, this intensity has been embedded since the 90s with the idea of, of proportionality, right? That there has to be a proportional use of violence, which is already a turn into some sort of, some, a type of utilitarian view of uh, how force should be exercised. In a sense, uh, often when we talk about proportionality in war, it's presented as this ahistorical and ubiquitous uh, uh, criteria, but it's actually historically very recent, right? Uh, only uh, the term proportionality appears very, very recently. The, it's, it doesn't appear in the, in the Geneva Convention, uh, nor in the additional protocol, but the, the, what, what is there is interpreted uh, 10 years after the, the adoption of the protocol, although they are discussed, the term proportionality is discussed at the, at, at the adoption of the protocol and refused. 10 years later, in the interpretation of the protocol, we say, well, this article is actually proportionality. And so we moved from the idea that it would be a restraint of war, a restraint of force, to a sort of calculus that would be about balancing different interests, the military interests and, and, uh, and the protection of the civilian. And eventually, what we see now in several uh, uh, tools that are being proposed is the idea that proportionality is becoming this tool to uh, validate uh, military action that are very limited. So it's no longer a proportionality on, on wider operation, but the we, we, the constitution of, of their extremely limited targets and the calculation of collateral damage strike by strike, right? And, and which changes the overall calculus uh, tremendously, obviously, because if you calculate the uh, an overall proportionality and a very targeted proportionality, then the cost benefits are always in favor of attacking, right? Because the risk could be horrible if, if this terrorist would be kept alive, but 
the costs are very low for a, 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 a benefit that would be immense. And so the, the, the localization and the, the, the specification of, of target is one of the, of the, of the big differences that this type of rationality um, comes with, right? And proportionality has been one of the core institutions, core notions, the core cal calculus um, to transform the way uh, in which uh, uh, force should be displayed on the on the on on the battlefield or outside the battlefield, actually. So this is uh, from American documents um, trying to. Uh, train soldiers to collateral damage estimation, right? So this it's now very much automatized, but this is the framework on which it is built. So this is a very um, probably uh, dated already uh, vision of that. Now it's, it's, it's much more quick. So, so they, they used to have to go through all the different types of uh, this risk matrix to validate uh, collateral damage estimation, and now it's probably mostly automatized. Um, but yet, procedurally, this is the procedure through which you need to go to validate a, a strike. And so, both uh, granularization and a, a, a proportionality that has been transformed from a restraint principle to an efficiency uh, uh, and a risk management system, right, which changes with the same notion, changes com completely the way um, with, we can think about how war should, uh, sh violence should be displayed on the battlefield. So in this targeted governance, as, as Valverde puts it, uh, the idea that you would have a technological and apol ap ap apolitical, proportionate, and individualized mode of regulating violence comes with the idea that everything uh, needs to be um, surgical. Well, you have the smart bomb, the smart sanction, the smart killings. There is now this sort of smart proportionality that, target, that targets the, the right uh, vulnerabilities. And law is also uh, um, called on board to have, to, 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 to have a smart intervention, smart sanction, and smart notions that would allow a, a, a more sophisticated and adaptable way of regulating these global issues. So in a sense, this uh, proportionality calculus is part of a bigger uh, dispositive that comes with databases, sensors, decision algorithms that all constantly monitor uh, reality so that when the striking decision uh, comes to be made, it is made, right? So these are exceptional moments, but there is a constant monitoring on which this uh, system rests. Also, this, so in conclusion on, the, on this uh, intensity and proportionality uh, transformation, the idea that fragmented calculation obscures the more general uh, ratio equilibrium that uh, one uh, what, what, at least the idea that, the, that in, in the international legal framework was purveying that, the, that there was a bigger uh, understanding of, of the general ratio of a conflictual situation. And now uh, with these type of, of rationality, it's very difficult to have um, this general um, 
appreciation. And this we've seen, uh, of course, clearly with the development of targeted and killing policies, uh, for instance. So at the personal level, there's also a lot of changes, right? So it's not only that violence has has sorry, <sighs> that violence has um, moved from this general uh, state of war to a very specific mode of of, of pervading violence, but it has moved to a more uh, to, I also modified the statute of the combatant. I modified the statute of the people involved or the people targeted by this regulation. So who is uh, uh, making war now has changed dramatically. So if, if the link to the nation or to an army or to an armed group was a uh, fundamental informal legal instrument uh, at, at various, with various um, um, adaptations and with various um, modalities in managerialism, uh, and I, 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 I take the example of, of the move that has taken the interpretative guidance on the direct participation of hostilities. The soldier is now no more linked to, to his uh, status of combatant because of his status or because of his appurtenance to a nation, to, to an army or to an armed group but just because of his behavior, right? So it's really moving away from status-based to, to reach a behavior-based um, qualification. So even within international law, the transformation of these tools as proportionality, even in international law, has moved from uh, a restraint to a risk assessment in, in these classical notions, moves from a, sta a status to a behavior-based um, Qualification in which it doesn't you do the the, the to, to qualify combatants you don't have to link the person to a specific group necessarily or to a specific uh, project but a, be, a suspicious behavior becomes um, sufficient to be to be qualified or to be designated as a as a target and so of course outside international law strictly in in profiling technologies. This has uh, uh, tremendous development. So not only, of course, in a limited way, I think it changes within international legal um, uh, qualifications and notions, but also outside of strictly international law in the way global uh, security is being regulated at the global plane, profiling behavior has been, is, is becoming an essential tool uh, in global security management in banking, in border control, etc., framing behaviors as, as suspicious is, is taking a lot of the activities of global uh, security mechanisms. Right? So the idea that you would uh, capture uh, different data traces left by individuals uh, and determining a normal pattern and determining an abnormal pattern, that would flag suspicion is on a system on which many algorithmic devices are basing their, uh, their, um, their efficiency, whether in credit scoring or in security scoring. A, a, a variety of tools use the same logic that the behavior is what constitutes suspicion rather than affiliation, motive, desire, or, or, or other, other type of, of, of action that were considered as 
as being suspicious or as being risky or as being um, uh, politically uh, understood as part of a conflict situation are now uh, thought of, of in, a, in, a, in a different way. So in conclusion, um, what I want to say is that what, what this uh, managerial governance does is that it, it makes what is measurable count, but this is, a, is, is something that we've seen throughout the 20th century, right? It turns to social science, it turns to econometrics. To make things relevant, you need to have data on them and you need to have a uh, uh, measure that, 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 be, that, uh, that, per, that allow a better understanding of the context. But one needs to be uh, clear that this uh, critique of law, basically, that was always decontextualized, and even if, if legal instruments were trying to make an effort to understand better uh, reality, it was always catching up with reality or catching up with new technologies, catching up with new modalities of making war, etc. One also needs to understand that now this picture that seems to be very sophisticated and very uh, granular of the world that is uh, offered by data uh, gives the impression of uh, hyper-contextualization, that we have more information than never on what is going on, and yet there are lots of things that are not there. And I think this is uh, uh, something that we are called to think of, of what is not in the picture anymore or still not in the picture in the way these uh, instruments operate. Uh, for instance, one of the things that are very difficult to grasp with uh, these instruments is the political motives of, of, of groups or of people, right? So you, 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 you understand that violence is maybe better captured and we have a better assessment of where there is risk and where there is instability in the world, but there is almost no way to capture an argument made about this violence, right? No, almost no way to capture why would people uh, use violence in, in, in this situation. So the motives, the desires, the projects in which this violence is embedded is almost impossible to grasp, although we have a, a, a picture that we never had about how a violence is displayed on the, on, uh, in the world. So this is uh, one of the, of the, of the, of the uh, colors that we miss in, in, in the sophistication of these tools. Um, the politics of it, right? The politics of both the instruments and uh, and uh, the violence, because these instruments are also designed designed in areas of expertise in which the politics of how this distributes violence are completely absent, right? So it's very difficult to to locate when an indicator is being designed and what it decides to capture and why. So this is also a site. Well, it's not a, a it's not a negotiation of multilateral multilateral treaty in which there is some sense of trying to understand what is at stake in designing a, uh, a disposition in, what way, in one way or another. But here, uh, the way in which these instruments are designed and constantly change, right? they are designed unilaterally uh, with a specific characteristic, they change constantly. The way uh, the, the political decisions are made in these instances are very difficult to, to grasp. Um, so in a sense, one of the uh, main reactions that we could have to all this is basically saying, oh, well, this is privatization. Is this, is this just privatization? Is this just the idea that we are moving away from the state and you know, private companies and, 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 and business are basically uh, taking over uh, different areas of globalization through private instruments, but this doesn't really affect how pub the public sphere is, is structured regardless. Um, 
My, I tend to say that not really because uh, at the end, I think that despite the fact that these private instruments tend to um, uh, give a lot of, of, of visu um, visibility to the private exercise of violence, I think that overall the stability of who gets to perform violence at the global level remains the same, right? So it's always states and it's always the same states in a certain way. And so the stability is the, the I mean the, the stability of the international order should not uh, seem to be here revolutionized because there are some private instruments and some new type of normativities that would aim at, at changing the way violence is organized. I think that uh, the bigger picture is always a, a certain stability and this is a, a, a a, in a sense, a side change, but that transformed the way we think, I think, uh, about how um, um, violence is organized. And so, as international lawyers, I guess we have uh, several options. Either we embrace the move and we think this is wonderful, we'll finally have a tool to manage violence at the global level, and this is probably better than whatever we had before. Well, this, which, which is an option, and a lot of people are get, getting on board, right? You probably have sensed my skepticism uh, <laughs> in describing this. Um, and so one, if skeptic, uh, one option could be, well, in the sense, in, in, against this, I will maintain my faith in formalistic instrument that include, that exclude these uh, normativity, right? I will stick to the charter and stick to the conventions. And in the way, in this way, I will not have to deal with this, which I think is, 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 is might, might have at least some panache, but maybe uh, is losing the battle. Because in the meanwhile, if this is what we've been doing in the past decades, these tools are proliferating, and we're not engaging as international lawyers very much with them. So this, my, my worry is that by sticking to uh, the instruments that we know and the institution that we know, we might lose uh, a better picture and a more um, uh, effective, effective picture uh, of, of how actually uh, violence is distributed at the global level and how actually uh, war is, is in, in, in conflict are organized uh, from, uh, uh, from regulatory and, 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 and legal instruments. Right? So uh, one option that I propose is more to, to engage critically but into the, with these instruments and trying to understand how they work and, and, and getting in their logic. Uh, if you open an indicator and you see how it's constituted and you engage with what it has to say and what's how it constructs uh, uh, reality, it's almost as interesting as getting into a legal notion and its definition. Thank you very much.